Paul Buckley. I'm uh, one of the pastors here and the lead pastor, so often on Sundays I'm the guy who gets to bring God's Word. I, I wasn't here last week. I was doing a wedding in Florida and uh, didn't mean to like have nice weather while you guys had the cold, but, but it worked out pretty well for us. So sorry, but Toby did a great job. We were here virtually with you guys. We're grateful for uh, the benefit of using online streaming, but the very best, of course, right, is to be together in person. And, uh, and it's so good. This, so this is my first Sunday back without shields and masks and to see faces. This is wonderful. Um, I've always enjoyed preaching to you guys, and, but it's hard to tell sometimes what's going on when all, all you see are eyes and a mask. So it's great to see your whole faces. And here we are, um, able to remove our masks and meet in person. Um, benefiting from vaccines that were developed and seeing COVID greatly reduced. It's been quite a year. Um, so much has happened, and I, I think this has been a year of shaking. I don't know how you've felt, uh, but it's felt that way to me. It's felt that many things that we considered relatively stable have been shaken in different ways, politics, ethics, economics, society, church itself. Um, I think we've gotten through relatively unscathed, but it has felt very destabilizing. And we're still not through it all. We're benefiting from the vaccines, but we're still uh, yet to reach an equilibrium. I think the ground still feels unstable. There still are going to be aftershocks as well. And that's our experience. Um, and what do we do? What do we do when the ground's unstable? What do we do when things are unpredictable. Well, that's what Ecclesiastes is about, right? God in His goodness to us has given us His Word. And God is all we need and the way that God ministers His presence, His truth, His life to us is through His Word. He's a speaking God and His Word is powerful. And so the Bible is an important part of our life as a church. Our, the, the Word of God is what gives us spiritual life. It's what sustains us. It's what guides us and strengthens and equips us. It's what sends us. So so even in unstable times, and especially in unstable times, we have the Word of God. God is not surprised by what's going on, and He's given us His Word. And thank God, here we are in Ecclesiastes, learning how to live wisely in an unstable world. That's really what I want to talk about today as we continue in chapter 9, and a portion of chapter 9 and portion of chapter 10. Uh, the title is uh, Living with Risk, Living Wisely with Risk. Um, that's much a theme of, of this entire book, really, but we're going to dig into some specifics. So let's pray and ask God to speak to us, because we need to learn this, how to live wisely in an unstable, risky world. Lord, we thank you. You really care for us. You love us, and you've not left us alone. You are eager to help us. You're eager to speak to us, and how we need to hear your voice. And Lord, we need to grapple with these truths we're going to look at with our minds, but Lord, we need our whole lives, our whole being to be affected by your word. And I pray today as your word is taught and proclaimed that, that we'd hear from you, that we would not only understand the, the, the logic, the thoughts, the truth, but be impacted by the spiritual power of your word, that we might be strengthened and equipped and have our perspective renewed that we might be shaped and formed into the image of Christ individually and as a church. That we might be your witnesses to a weary world. So thank you, Lord. You are intent on doing such things and your word helps us. So help us to listen. Help me to proclaim and, and to serve you. And serve your people. And 
serve the mission you have for us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting in verse 11, listening to the words of the preacher once again. He says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there, but there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, and so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. <clears throat> he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charms, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? Toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. God's word from Ecclesiastes 9, 11 through 10, 15. And I want to talk about this section of scripture. It fits together. There are three subsections in here. Maybe you detected these. They are set apart by the use of the word I saw or I have seen or I have also seen. The preacher is telling us things that he's observed. And there are lessons in each one. Again, this is wisdom literature. It's different. It's, it's lots of little sayings that are strung together, but they, there is a cohesiveness here. This section of Ecclesiastes speaks of the reality of risk, that we live in an unpredictable world. Success is risky. It's unpredictable. Wisdom is risky. There's, we can't predict the outcome. Government and hard work as well are risky. We can't control the outcome in all these different things. And yet we're called to navigate with wisdom and, and to refuse folly. That's really the lesson that's here. 
We stand on wisdom in a risky world as a way to sum it all up. So I want to talk about these three subsections. And if you look through, if you have your Bible in front of you, in your hands, it's the best place to have it. We put it on the screen for your convenience, but better to have it in your hand. We actually have some Bibles at the back or on the shelf if you need one. But if you have that in your hand, you can see the, the, the sections by these words I saw or I have seen. First will be verses 11 through 12 in chapter 9. Then chapter 9, verse 13 through 10, 3. And then the last section, chapter 10, verses 4 through 15. These three subsections about success being risky, wisdom being risky, and then government and hard work being risky. So let's dig in. He says, again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. Now, we would expect, actually, to be the other way around. Usually, the race is won by the swift, right? If you're watching the Kentucky Derby, which horse is going to win? The fastest one, right? That's what we normally expect. If you know, if it's a football game and a receiver receives the ball and, 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 a, and a defensive back is chasing them, if the receiver's faster, he wins, right? That's what we expect. So that's what's expected, that, that the swift person wins the race. We expect the battle to go to the stronger army. We expect the wise person to be the one who can earn a good living and earn bread. We expect the intelligent, gifted person to excel and perhaps grow rich. We expect those that are knowledgeable and understanding to benefit from that and to have favor as a result. That's what we expect. And that is overall what tends to happen. But Ecclesiastes is addressing the exceptions that we often see in a broken world. And this is a core thing about life under the sun. This world has fallen. It's broken. Ecclesiastes in many ways is a commentary on Genesis 3. The impact of the fall of creation into sin. It makes things not work out as they ought. There's a curse in this world. And so the battle isn't always to the strong. The race isn't always to the swift. Bread and riches are not always to the wise and intelligent. Favor isn't always to the knowledgeable. We can't predict things. There's a risk inherent in living in this world. It is so important to understand this and so important for us to have a category for this. If we don't have a category for unpredictability and risk, we're going to struggle. And we're going to wonder why, what's going on? And of course, Ecclesiastes is saying, what did you expect? You live in a broken world. These things happen. Now there's wisdom and there's truth that's bigger than life under the sun, of course. And Ecclesiastes points us there. And so there are other truths and themes that we grab a hold of in this world that's unpredictable. But we mustn't be surprised by the riskiness that we see. Time and chance happen to all. The runner may not continue to run the race and win. He might get an injury. The meet might get canceled. His running career might might have to fall by the wayside as he has other priorities like family and a job. He might just get old and not be as fast anymore. I used to be really fast, at least in my mind, but I can't beat many people now. Probably can't even beat my granddaughter. It's just that reality. Time and chance happen to all, but the passage is, is not just saying that there are circumstances that make this not happen. There, are, there is a greater and more important circumstance that this passage gets at for it says, for man does not know his time. The ultimate time this is speaking of. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds 
that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. It's speaking of, of a bad time, not, not necessarily inherently evil, but this idea of something that you don't want to happen. Just like, just like the bird caught in a snare, the fish caught in a net. The bird and the fish, they're going about their normal business, trying to find food to live, and all of a sudden, they're caught, and it's the end of their life. And so the preacher is saying, this is what life is like for the children of man too. You can be going about your business and suddenly all your plans have been changed. You can be caught unaware. And this is wisdom for us to live, as, as Toby talked about so, so well last week, to live every day with that, that potential reality in front of us, living the best we can each day by wisdom, by God's wisdom. Because we don't know when our time may come. If you've lived long enough, and I'm sure for many of us over 40, we've seen already in our relatively short lifetimes this truth lived out. I know many people whose lives were ended unexpectedly. I know people who had dreams and, and so, all sorts of gifts. They were the swift. They were the strong. They were the talented. They were the intelligent. They were the knowledgeable. And suddenly their life was over. I think in particular of a friend of mine from grad school, Swami. He was from India. He was uh, a wonderful person. Extremely intelligent. I, uh, I got to go to grad school and learn that, that in, in among, the, among people in grad school, I'm in the lower half. There are some people that are just... Unbelievable world-class intelligence, and Swami was one of them. Um, just able to remember things and, and uh, formulas and everything uh, when I had to go back to my book and try to find, where was that again? You know, and, uh, Swami was one of those guys, not only intelligent, but a uh, great athlete, uh, socially skilled, a kind person, a wonderful person with a great big smile. And, um, and it says this about him in the, the Johns Hopkins Gazette. That's where I went to grad school. It says, everyone who knew him called him Swami, and he was one of the hardest to miss among a crowd of students playing cricket on warm afternoons on the upper quad on the Homewood campus. At six foot five, five inches tall, Swami not only towered over most of the other players, but his intensity, good nature, and unshakable sense of fairness would resonate throughout the game. And the 26-year-old's passion and ability easily crossed from the playing fields to the material science labs in the Whiting School of Engineering. His honesty, integrity won him the love and respect of all who knew him. He truly was a wonderful person. He was driving home from visiting friends on Thanksgiving weekend at 4.30 a.m., almost home, just south of Baltimore. His car struck a bridge and butment. He was killed instantly. This young man, swift, strong, wise, intelligent, and knowledgeable, met his end unexpectedly, at a time when he least expected, at the peak of his graduate career, and at the doorstep of a life that, that surely would have had a great impact in the world. This is the reality that the preacher is getting at, that we can't predict the outcome. We live in a risky world. And, and certainly, these talents and these abilities are important, and they help us, but, but we can't guarantee their outcome. And we need to learn to live with that. Hasn't this year taught us that? Expect the unexpected. Who would have expected 2020 to be like it was? And maybe for some of you, you've lost someone like my, I lost my friend Swami. You've lost someone this year unexpectedly. We've seen over the world millions of untimely deaths. 
This is a sobering reality. We don't like to face these realities. We like to pretend they don't exist. But this year, and more importantly, Scripture forces us to look at this reality and consider the reality and grow in wisdom. There's wisdom for us in how we live. We're to live in light of this reality and we're to live in light of this risk and we're to live our days in wisdom so that whether we have one day left or 10,000, each day will be lived wisely. I don't know if you know the story of Eric uh, Little. He's someone who exemplified this wisdom. The famous subject of chariots of fire was born in China by missionary parents. He was an exceptional rugby uh, star and Olympic sprinter. You may know the story from the movie. His, his specialty in the Olympics was the 100-meter race. He was world-class, of course, in that. But the race took place, the, the trials for it took place on Sundays, and in his conviction as a follower of Christ, he believed that that was the wrong thing to do, so he refused to run his event. Instead, switched over to the 400-meter. And if you are a track person, you know those are totally different events. One is a sprint, an all-out sprint. The other is, is a mid-distance race, and you have to run differently. Nevertheless, he chose to run that, and he was inspired by a friend who, who put a note in his hand that spoke of God honoring those who honor him. He ran that 400-meter race like a 100-meter sprint. He sprinted the whole way and broke the world record and Olympic record in those Olympics. And he could have had a successful career after the Olympics in probably anything he chose. But what did he choose to do? He chose to live wisely, to follow Jesus. And for him, that meant going back to, to China to be a missionary. And that meant an outcome that he probably didn't expect because shortly after that, World War II came along. The Japanese conquered China, and he was put in an internment camp, and it was a miserable place, yet he decided to live wisely as he lived there. And while many other people were fending for themselves, betraying their friends, Eric lived generously. He set up church services and schooling for the children, sporting activities. He took care of the sick. He was well-respected as he poured his life out again and again there in that prison camp. And after two years, he grew sick. One morning, this super athlete, who now was only 43, began to have trouble breathing. A little girl came to visit him and ran to get help. She returned with one of Eric's friends. Eric looked up at the friend and said, it is surrender. He died that same day. And those who knew him mourned him greatly. He was a man who lived wisely in an unpredictable, risky world. We can't predict our time. We can't choose the outcomes. But we can choose to run our race in the Lord and for the Lord regardless of the outcome. That is the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Second point. Wisdom is risky. Outcomes are risky. Success is risky. We can't predict. Wisdom is risky. And the teacher here uses a story of a city, a small city, that was besieged by a great king. And this little city had giant siege works against it. So picture those catapults and those, you know, those siege towers you see in the movies uh, arrayed against a small city, a small walled city, a little city. And they were desperate. They were in trouble. There was no hope. There was no answer. But in this city was a, was a poor, ordinary man. The word poor there is really just an ordinary person. A regular guy. 
But this man had extraordinary wisdom, and he offered a plan. Now, we don't know the plan. The, the preacher doesn't tell us the particulars. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he knew how to construct some sort of secret weapon. I don't know. Maybe he just was a great diplomat. Maybe he knew there was a secret cave they could all hide in. We don't know. But he had wisdom for their rescue. And the end result of what happened is no one remembered the poor man. It, it says, but there was founded in a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. It's actually the, that word delivered is not clear whether it's something, a past tense word or a potentiality. So one way to translate it, there was a wise man. Uh, he might have delivered the town through his wisdom, but no one listened to him. So we don't know. It's somewhat unclear. So it, it could have been that the town... The town didn't follow his wisdom and was besieged and that sad, or they did and then just forgot about him. But the, the point being is that either way, this man was never rewarded for his wisdom. He had the ability, he either did or had the potential to save the whole city with his wisdom. And yet, they didn't listen. Other voices went out. Other louder voices went out. And so in the section where it talks about this story, it talks about this, this reality of, of how foolishness can sometimes win over wisdom. Sometimes it outshouts wisdom. So he says in verse 16, but I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not hear, heard. The words of the wise heard and quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. So the implication here is that the wise man quietly offered his wisdom and somebody outshouted him. No, nah, that will never work. What do you think? And that's nobody's going to do that. Let's do this instead. And, and the, the person who yelled the loudest and longest won out. And that's the reality in this world. Often it's not wisdom and quiet wisdom that is heard. It's the loud, persistent voice. Wisdom is good, but it's risky. We can't control how it will be received. And that's what this story illustrates. And it illustrates the reality that foolishness is there as well. Foolishness is always going to be there alongside wisdom. And there's a lesson here for us. Certainly we can put ourselves in the shoes of the wise man and think, all right, so I'm going to be disappointed. Sometimes they're not going to listen to me and I'll have to deal with that. But also we ought to put ourselves in, in the shoes of those in the city and to realize wisdom may be quiet, not loud. That foolishness can be the predominant voice and we must discern wisdom. That's part of what's going on here. We need to discern what wisdom is. We need to understand that dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. A little bit of foolishness can per persuade a crowd and ruin it all. And we need to be discerning personally and as his people in a broken world. We all live in this reality, right? Often it's the loudest and longest voice that prevails. It's not necessarily necessarily. The voice of wisdom, God's voice. History can sometimes help us with this as well. In 1930, in the early days of the Nazi regime, Winston Churchill was adamant that Hitler was a menace. Now at that point in time, it wasn't as obvious as it is to us now. He, his strong and clear stand against Hitler was suppressed by the media. They didn't want this man's wisdom to influence things. They wanted to try to pursue appeasement. They wanted to avoid another world war, and that, that's understandable. And they thought appeasement was the way to do that. And so the voice of foolishness ultimately 
drowned out the voice of wisdom in the case of Winston Churchill. That voice might have saved the world from the Holocaust and the 75 million war deaths. He was like the wise poor man in the story amidst shouting fools. Yet, he continued to speak out. And we know when the time was right, they listened. He was shown not only to be right, but to be the right man to lead us to victory in the evils of Hitler. Now, probably none of us will ever be a Winston Churchill. Maybe. That would be great. But probably not. But each of us live in our own sphere that God has placed us. And each of us are to, to practice the same sort of wisdom. We are to do what we're taught here. To stand quietly for what's right and good and persistently. And to understand that we will be opposed at times. The world will shout louder and longer than us. But we don't stop speaking respectfully, gently, persistently, truthfully. And the most important thing we must speak is the ultimate wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is the cross. This is foolishness to the world. The world, apart from God's power to change their mind and hearts, and ourselves as well are, are a part of that, right? Apart from His power in us to change our perspective, the cross is, of course, foolishness. It's an insult to us. It doesn't build us up as humans in and of ourselves. It tears us down. It says that, that we are so sinful that God Himself had to take on flesh and die in our place. That's how serious our brokenness and sin is. Nobody wants to hear that. That's an insult to humanity. But it's the wisdom of God. It's the truth. Because the cross not only says that we're so sinful that God Himself in the flesh had to die in our place to pay for our sins, but also we're so loved by God that God Himself died in the flesh, that came in the flesh and died for us to pay for our sins and give us new life. He both condemns us rightly, but also exalts us in His love. But this is foolishness to the world. The world only wants that second part, not the first. But there's no life unless there's death. There's no resurrection unless there's a cross. And this is ultimately the wisdom of God. And so we must continue to speak respectfully, lovingly, truthfully, this wisdom above all other wisdoms. Yes, walk in all the wisdom of the Word of God. It has counsel for all sorts of things in life. And certainly the wisdom of the cross flows out and touches every aspect of life. But let us be a people who stand in our own spheres, in love and in truth, like the man in the story, advocating for what's true and trusting God for the outcome. It may win the city. And the gospel has done that. We're all here, right? Because it has won lives. And our culture has been greatly affected by the gospel. Western history and now Eastern and, and Southern Hemisphere history is being greatly affected by the gospel. But we can't control that. We're called just to be faithful witnesses amidst a world that might outshout us. Wisdom is risky, but let's persist in that wisdom. Finally, government and hard work is risky. It's the same idea just applied to rulers. So in verse 4 of chapter 10, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Now, the use of the word noble and rich is not 
not saying that those who are noble and rich deserve to rule. It's saying that those who practice wisdom, it's connected, it's part of the wisdom literature, those who practice wisdom tend to end up in power, tend to end up uh, wealthy, and tend to end up in positions of influence. And when, when these things get turned upside down, there's a problem. So this is pointing to the reality that sometimes the ones who are least worthy are the ones who are in control. And sometimes the ones who are most worthy are the ones who are deposed. There's a risk in this fallen world. Government and leadership will not be perfect. At times it will be upside down. This is the reality. So what do we do? What do we do when those who are leading are not the best? Well, we calmly and persistently stand for wisdom and we endure no matter what the outcome. Verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. We respectfully and persistently advocate for what is right and good. We refuse to meet folly with folly. We refuse to use the enemy's tactics against our enemies. This is a great temptation, by the way, for Christians in this world, because the political world operates, by and large, on power. And it's a great temptation for Christians when we see things upside down to want to get in the game and use the same weapons. And let me tell you very clearly from Scripture, Jesus says, don't do it. This is what he says in Matthew 20. You know the rules of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We don't do politics the way the world does. We don't do anything the way the world does. We come as servants, humble, persistent. We use our voices to advocate for truth respectfully, persistently, and patiently. We exemplify Christ and His service and what we do. We're called to a different way of reform. We must recognize the temptation to do otherwise. The trends I see in culture are very akin to the trends that led to the French Revolution. This was a time as people who were in oppression and had been in oppression for a long time. There's a long history to it. Part of it is they had eliminated the middle class in France the, who were largely Huguenots, so they had they, kicked out the, the Protestants in France, and so you had this disparity in the classes. There was oppression. Oppression was real leading up to the French Revolution. We shouldn't deny that. But what happened is the response to that oppression was this revolution to the cry of liberty, equality, fraternity that sought to tear down everything that had stood before them rather than merely reform the things that were oppressing them. And they tore everything down. The bloody guillotine killed the nobility. And in the end, they got wanton destruction and chaos, and the vacuum was filled by, guess what? A dictatorship under Napoleon Bonaparte and resulted in 3.5 million war deaths under his campaigns. Brothers and sisters, we are called to something very different. We need to be persistent in this unstable world, living for wisdom, seeking reform, being honest about the oppression, not saying we can't talk about it because that would be against our political interest. No, 
We must be honest about oppression, about the mistakes, about the past, that the things that have been wrong. But we also must honor the things that are right about the past and be respectful. This is the way of Scripture. This is the way of wisdom in a world full of folly. Let me ask you, what path are you following when it comes to these issues? Are you following Jesus or the world? This is how we walk in wisdom in a risky world. One, one last final sub-point here. Work as well is risky. Everyday endeavors have risk to them. And so the preacher says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. The serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. So all these are different tasks that were normal tasks. So digging a pit in that day was, was for uh, trapping animals. We dig pits today, right, for laying pipe and so forth. And the reality is, is the guy who digs a pit can be endangered by it. Serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. Building a wall those days, they would, they would take old stones and they would move them. And while there could be snakes in those old stones, there was a risk. The guy who quarries stone can be hurt. The stone can fall on them. If you split a log, you can have the log fall on you. Um, if you use a chainsaw like I did, you can end up cutting your leg. Is that reality? I can tell you that story later. Um, there's this risk that's inherent in our different tasks. And so what do we do? Well, verse 10, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before his charm, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The idea here is use wisdom amidst risk. And so, safety first. That was why... I cut my leg. I knew safety. I wasn't using safety. Use wisdom in what you do. Practice wisdom. That will reduce the risk. That's simply the wisdom here. One of the, just very practical, right? Use your wisdom. And so that's what this is talking about. The, it's charming the snakes, using your words, sharpening the axe, doing these different things to practice wisdom in life. This will reduce the risk. And we want to identify folly and avoid it. So as it concludes in verse 13 and 14. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. The end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words. As the fool walks down the street, uh, his foolishness is evident to everybody. We need to identify, part of living in wisdom is to identify foolishness and avoid it. To walk in wisdom in this unpredictable world. Knowing that we can't control the outcome, but wisdom will prevail in the end. It will have a benefit to a degree overall now, but we can't guarantee that. But it will definitely in the end. This is an important message of Ecclesiastes. So even acknowledging the risk and the instability uh, in life, Ecclesiastes says again and again, and at the end we'll see, verse 12, verse, chapter 12, verses 13 through 14, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God stands at the end and He will judge the right and the wrong. He will reward the wisdom and discipline and deal with, punish the foolishness. That's a reality. And so we walk in wisdom, patiently pursuing wisdom in an unpredictable world. Know that the outcome will vary. Hebrews 11 is a great place to look. Uh, that's a picture of wisdom, the wisdom of faith, trusting God. But if you read through Hebrews 11, you'll see some people conquer kingdoms, right? And some people get sawn in two. They can't control that outcome. And that's our lives. Some of us will conquer kingdoms. 
maybe. Some of us will get Psalm 2, maybe. Most likely, most of us will have some milder degree of both of those things mixed throughout life. You can't control the outcomes. There'll be times when you apply wisdom and things work really well. And other times you get sawn in two. It just didn't work. It wasn't my fault. I don't know. Nevertheless, we persist in wisdom because God is in control. God is wise overall. God will use us. And He will reward us for our patient persistence in wisdom in an unpredictable, risky world. As I close, let me ask you, is there somewhere in your life where you need to apply wisdom. This is an important thing, by the way, in Ecclesiastes, because one reaction to the unpredictability of life is to say, ah, forget it then. I'm just going to go off and eat, drink, and be merry and go wild. I'm just tired of, I can't control things, forget it. Or to, to allow despair and discouragement to rule, rule your life, like Denethor in The Lord of the Rings, who allowed despair rather than hope to, to define him and threw himself off a cliff. Ecclesiastes calls us to wisdom, to trust God, to walk in wisdom, to know that there, yes, there likely will be temporal short-term rewards, but there will definitely be a long-term reward. So where in your life are you not practicing wisdom, but maybe giving in to despair or foolishness or cynicism? Before we transition, let's just take a moment to pray and respond to the Lord in line with that question or anything else he leads you to. I'll take a minute to do that, and then Pastor Toby will come up and lead us in communion.